All right, this is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. Oh, I love to hear that sound, Norman G. He's back. <laughs> this is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. <laughs> we have a fantastic guest, Paul Harkness. Paul, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, thank you. My pet name for you is Paul the Apostle. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very, very loving. No, no, it's true. I mean, you know, you and I have a very, I think, a very special bond. You are an actor and a playwright, and you have been working on your play, uh, Hollow Ground, uh, for a while now. You and I, we've known each other. We were students at the um, Berkeley Rep, taught by Gary Graves. And uh, just two days ago, uh, you had your play, Hollow Ground, um, at a, at a, at a, as a part of a reading at the uh, Play Cafe. That's right. And uh, same as I did uh, a couple of years ago, where they helped develop Four Men in Paris, which a year ago premiered. I know. That all ju- that popped up in my feed. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful memories. And I think you came to that show, Paul. Uh, at the DMT? The DMT, the Denver mm-hmm. Fourth Theater. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. And today... Birthday boy, Norman. Finally. Wel- welcome back and happy right. birthday. Stop torturing everybody <laughs> with my birthday season. No, 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 no. It's fantastic. How, how does it feel? It feels the same as it felt yesterday. No, yeah. I, I, you know, I, for about a decade, I've been working on this concept of the birthday season, and I think I finally got at least the, the, the structure, the base structure of it. Um, and I've enjoyed it. You know, mostly it's a time for kind of meditating, thinking about it. But definitely celebrating and giving people a chance to not just have to aim for one party, but come out and just help me celebrate my birthday. And so it's been pretty cool. And mm-hmm. you know. no, it's been wonderful. And uh, you've done the bike. The uh, you have this annual seventh bike annual thing. bike mm-hmm. uh, ride this uh, on the Bay Bridge this year. So that was pretty cool. My uh, I'm calling it my birthday twin, even though it's like three weeks between our birthdays. But we figure out some date in between. And we do this ride, and then we go to Ikea, the Ikea Cafe, which people generally laugh at. But the food is good. The price is good. And it's got and this the gorgeous nice. view. <laughs> 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 but it, the, the cafe has this beautiful view of the bay that people don't realize. Don't even know it's there. Yeah. So, okay. And it's that's where the foot of the trail is for the bridge. So we meet there. We ride out. We ride <coughs> back. So that's been great. I got to go down and see my folks. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I went down to San Diego, saw my mom, my stepfather, yeah. went up to Covina. My dad actually threw a little party for me. And yeah, I saw the pictures of that. That was really nice. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. And you hung out at the alley. I'm sure the alley had a little thing for the you. The alley, uh, that's where the birthday cake, I brought the last bit of birthday cake with me. Nice. I wanted to make sure Rich got some of my birthday cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I but totally yeah, they, um, that. They, they got me a cake. I mm-hmm. got this huge bouquet of flowers and um, you know, and friends showed up and mm-hmm. regulars showed up. And <coughs> so it's been... It's been nice, and today I was supposed to have rehearsal, so we were actually going to try and do this earlier, mm-hmm. but then they didn't call me for some reason today. They're like, oh, yeah, we don't need you today. I'm like, sweet. There you go. So I'll go do a bike ride, and then tonight mm-hmm. uh, Mara is playing a gig. It's a Venezuelan celebration. They do it annually. Okay. And so that's going to be right over here in Alameda. Um, so we're going to go to that. Nice. And and you're rehearsing for Mid is it Midsummer Night's Dream? Midsummer Night's Dream. All right. The Arabian Shakespeare Festival. At the Royce Gallery in San Francisco, which mm-hmm. is real close to the Z space. Yeah. Um, apparently this is like the last hurrah for them. The Royce is apparently going away. Oh. oh. You know, it's it's interesting because um, Kim Cades. Mm-hmm. You know where Kim yeah, Cades? Yeah. That's going away. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, I think it's gone. And that 
uh, that just you know just broke my heart. Every time I look in the paper, I really? hear, yeah, <coughs> you know, there there are companies that can survive in this you know high priced. Um, well, that was <coughs> I always thought Kincaid's was kind of high priced. That's why I'm yeah, like, oh. yeah. Apparently they they couldn't. I read about it in the San Francisco Gate SF Gate, uh-huh. uh, and it just broke my heart because like wow. The last great date that I was on oh. <laughs> was at Kincaid's. And that's where all the movers and shakers, Oakland movers and shakers. I saw are. Hamlet at uh, Arabian Shakes a couple years ago. Maybe. Matthew, I was I in it. He was Polonius. John Flanagan was, was, was yeah. my, one of my best friends. Yes. Small world, huh? I've known, I've known Flanagan forever, and it's the first time we've done a show together in decades. Yeah. yeah we, uh, we've yeah. done shows sweet. together. I was going to say, I mean, Arabian Shakespeare, they must really like you because, you know, this is like your second piece with them. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't sure because last year I didn't get in. I was like, oh, man, I thought they liked me. But, yeah, this yeah. year I'm back. Uh-huh. <coughs> no, that is awesome. It's bizarre because I'm, I'm playing Aegeus, mm-hmm. who is the, the jealous father of Hermia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing Controlling. Mm-hmm. I'm playing Titania. Queen of the Fairies. Ah, that's right. And I'm playing Snout, one of the mechanicals. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, what? And so there's a woman playing Oberon mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of, well, not a bunch, there's six actors doing all the roles. So mm-hmm. it's, it's no. going to be something that's in November. So they must have liked your, your video thing that you were showing me. So yeah. Very cool. I guess they did. They were like, I can't. I'm going to post that on Facebook, but <laughs> I'll wait till we're closer. Oh, that, that, yeah, no, that video was fun. Um, how how is Dexter Mara family? Family's good. I mean, you know, I was gone last week, so mm-hmm. I barely saw not not this week that we're finishing, but the week before I was in mm-hmm. Southern Cal. Um, having finished as you like it, mm-hmm. I had a little window of time, and I'm like, I better go down and see family. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, "Well, so is Mara with you?" And I'm like, "No, Mara's working, <laughs> and Dexter's doing fine. He just did his SATs." And right uh, on. You know, they're mm-hmm. looking at applying to schools. And yeah. And they're fussing in the way that, you know, 17-year-old teens and parents need to fuss because mm-hmm. he thinks he's ready to be out on his own in the world, but, oh, wait, Mom, where's my this and where's my that and <laughs> are you going to pick me up? Yeah. And like, yeah, it's not <coughs> independent, but, yeah. okay, you're getting there. And, Paul, you're, you're a dad, right? Uh, no, you're, you're no, never had any children. Oh, uh, wow, okay. But I was going to say squabbling. I remember squabbling just before I went to um, college because it's one of those – unspoken things while wow, I'm leaving the home. Right. And, you know, you, of course, the last day or let's say the first day that you're away, you can finally say, oh, I love you and all this stuff. But right. there are these unhidden tensions of, oh, you know, we I may not see you, you know, mm-hmm. for a long time. And so those tensions are natural. They have yeah, Well, being older, it's easier to reflect mm-hmm. and remember, oh, right, I remember that. Or, oh, that's what that was. I, you know, you start to recognize yeah. it from that other perspective. Which is great. I remember coming home one of the first times after I was away, mm-hmm. and I expected that that thing you see in the movies. You know, the folks are there at the airport. Oh, sure, they're hugging you, you and yeah. No, because my <coughs> mom's not wasn't a hugger. She was, mm. and she didn't like to say actually say the literal words "I love you." Wow. And I came home, and she's like, "Okay, you ready to go?" Yeah. And turned and like started to walk, and I was like, "Whoa!" whoa. <laughs> and so the next time I came home, yeah. I said, "I want a hug." Mm-hmm. You know, when I get here, I want, I want, yeah. I want a hug. I don't care what you want; I want it. Yeah. And I realize I had to take ownership of that. That there, was there part of the growing yeah. up. So I'm waiting for him to get to that place where he starts to recognize, oh, all these things I took for granted. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. If I really want them, I need to I need to step up. Yeah. And you weren't just going away. You went away to you were to off the to, army. to the army. Yeah. So. No, that's definitely. So I'm 60, and that is weird to me. But mm -hmm. I got here every day of it, every step of it. I you know, I earned it. I'm mm -hmm. happy to be here, and I can't. You can't second guess your life. Yeah. I've been promised myself I will have a conversation with my 17-year-old self at some point. For the first time in a long time, maybe ever, I feel like I could fully have that conversation now, even though I feel like now it would be a waste of time. What can you tell a 17-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you have any regrets, I mean, as far as what well would I you tell yourself? I have tons of regrets, yeah. but I also know I wouldn't be where I am and who I am right. if I hadn't <coughs> taken the path I took. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into current events. I mean, there have been a lot of current events since, I mean, obviously there's the impeachment. I mean, were you shocked? We haven't talked since uh, that's happened. No, I've been waiting for it to happen. What I'm, the only thing shocking is this man is just basically going, oh, well, here's some more evidence. Yeah. Well, here's some more evidence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, it's like, oh, my God. Um, yes, keep talking. Just keep talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it surprises me keep because – He's never been a logical person, so, you know, this is sort of like spazzing out, and of course, there are, I'm waiting for the Republican, that's r the real news that I'm waiting for, because I'm waiting for Republican senators and House of Representatives to say, oh yes, I'm ready to vote on impeachment. That hasn't <coughs> happened yet. Right. They've condemned him. Condemning but doesn't Mitch, mean anything to me. But Mitch committed to having the hearing, <coughs> if it gets through the House, Mitch mm -hmm. is committed to it. There so you I'm go. Like, we'll see if that happens. It's like putting a stake on – you can put a stake on the pan, but if it don't sizzle, don't mean anything. It's sizzling right, now. <laughs> right, right. Right, and that's where Pelosi is getting so much flack. It's like, what yeah. are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? She's waiting for that sizzle. It's mm -hmm. like, mm, I want to make yet, sure. Not yet. <laughs> there you right. go. That's, who, that's what she's – and it's not – she's not interested in it. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, I heard – oh, it was some call and show, and the guy was – I didn't hear the call, mm -hmm. and I heard the response. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute. Okay, I know where you're going. No, 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 no. So – Yes, technically, um, if we find Trump guilty of this stuff, mm -hmm. and it looks like Pence is guilty of at least obstruction, mm -hmm. then they could both be impeached, they could both be out, and that would make Nancy Pelosi president. And if you say that out loud, there are a whole lot of people who are going to resist yeah. going in this process. Like, like That's one reason that she doesn't want to do it, but the other reason is she's not crazy. To do this the year leading into an election would create so much bad blood. There's no way she'd stay in office, mm -hmm. one, <laughs> unless she just completely appeased the Republican Party, which I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, it, it, it would be you know much better to just <coughs> wait for that sizzle, mm -hmm. make sure that we can actually nail this guy, and yeah. let Pence, let President Pence deal with mm -hmm. the fallout if, it, if we get there. Yeah. And it's it's fodder for the 2012 election because this will set the stage for the debates. I'm sorry, the 2020. That's what I meant. 2020 uh, election. Everything that the candidates will be debating on and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Paul, I have no idea. You know, since you and I had known each other, as a matter of fact, we were in class when Trump was elected. Oh, I, I, if, I, if I believe because we were that's in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because um, I think one of the students in the class started weeping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People, wow. this is the worst day of my life. Yeah, I don't know your political affiliation at all. What do you feel about what's happening? I guess how are you coping in the age of Trump? Well, that's a good question. I, I I'm not sure. I have a good answer. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just um, 
I think what you do is circle the wagons. You figure out who your friends are, what you, what your commitments are, and you do the best you can. Uh, in terms of activism, I'm not an activist, but every chance I get it to to be in a conversation with somebody who wants to defend Trump, I step forward and say, well, oh, let me just take the opposite point of view, mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure there's a debate going on and it's not because those are the people that are sleeping who elected Trump in the first place, right. the ones that don't think. Yeah, right. yeah. And the ones that can't that can't <coughs> see their own best interests are being thwarted by someone they elected. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. they can't. They have nothing else to hang on to because they're not they're not intellectual. They don't, don't can't analyze issues and make uh, understand the mechanics of how power works and how they can't recognize their own oppression. Right. Yeah. So because they can't, it just goes on, and they defend the person who's oppressing them. It's a vicious circle. I mean, that's been broken down probably a number of different ways. Yeah. But uh, the, the question I have for you, because uh, I know from your writings, you care very deep about, you know, the Civil War. And I would say the military, uh, you know, like the people who defend our country. Mm. And a lot of people can look at that as a very conservative. So. So one well, one could look at you and just make the stereotype. Oh, of course he's he's a Republican or he's a well, whatever. The, the the point is, and a lot of people don't understand it. You can uh, be against any war your country is in, but for your warriors. Mm -hmm. In other words, they don't make policy. Exactly. And they risk their lives to to commit to. <coughs> protecting democracy or, or fighting terrorism, whatever it is, you can't thank them enough. You'll mm -hmm. never be able to thank them enough. You'll never be able to reward them enough. You'll never be able to, to – it's just uh, – mm -hmm. And we're looking at a veteran right here. But you need to make that Norman. distinction. Yeah, my brother was a, was a wounded warrior. He was a Vietnam War vet sure. that just passed away last year from, from diseases he got as a result of Agent Orange oh, being dropped on him and his squad not once but twice. So, um, so that's – where I get my, I love my brother, I, I love what he did, but I hated the war in Vietnam and I was an anti-war protester. Mm -hmm. And it's all the same family. Right? Yeah, right. yeah. So it's, that's the distinction is that um, I can love the, uh, the, the soldier but hate the war. Yeah, I think that that's very, very poignant. And I was thinking about you and Norman. I mean, you were on the line in Korea. Um, well, yeah, but <coughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, of course. I, I, I didn't mean to. No, imply it was, you what was, what yeah. was it was amazing to know that this was like an active mm -hmm. thing, and that there was shooting going on. But you know, as long as nobody actually got hit, nobody was really reporting it. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait a minute. So this is a war. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, it's good to get your perspective, Paul, on that. Yeah. Um, also. The Amber Geyer thing. You know who Amber Geyer is. This oh, is the woman who yeah. shot <coughs> the black man in his home. Oh, right. There was a case. Uh, of course, she was convicted. I believe she received a 10-year sentence. 10 years, yep. But for good behavior, she could be out in five. I was sort of appalled, and I have another podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Black in the Bay, where Will Hammond and I, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. She received a hug from the brother of the victim yep. and also the judge. Yep. Now, that really sort of I got I was talking me. about that, yeah. and I was surprised if you want to talk about it someplace on one of your podcasts. I would think the, the Yeah, i got to get you on Black on the Bay, yeah. No, on religious oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were talking about it this morning, this notion of forgiveness. And I was what I said was, and it's funny, Mara really wasn't getting where I was going. I said, if you remember the era that led into Jimmy Carter, yeah. America suddenly became fascinated with, with born-again Christianity. Mm-hmm. And he was a born-again Christian. Sure. Um, 
And so there was this uh, movement, this interest in the country yeah. to explore that. I wish that we weren't in this, wow, it's a trend today and then it's gone tomorrow thing, because this hug mm -hmm. is huge. And it isn't some namby-pamby Christian idea. It's mm -hmm. real. There's a real nice core to it. Mm -hmm. it's these folks never knew who this woman was, never even knew the name Amber. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to spend the rest of your life hating this person who you didn't know or care about before? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How in the, how does that respect your brother? How does that you know? How does that better your life? Better to mm -hmm. find that place of peace and to work towards making that a positive experience, so that you can let go of her, mm -hmm. <laughs> forget about her, wish her well. <clears throat> I hope she's never on the police force again. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Even I d I find her story just shady as hell. But mm -hmm. if her story is absolutely true. It still means some poor guy got killed in his house. You should pay a penalty for that. So I'm okay with, you know, I don't mm -hmm. care five, ten years. That's fine. Yeah. I hope she takes to heart this notion that she should pick up the Bible mm -hmm. and read it. And I'm not a Christian. Yeah. But to really reflect on what you were doing, how did you get yourself to this place where this happened? And is that the person you want to be? I hope she spends some time doing that. Yeah. And I wish the country could go there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I was thinking about you, Paul. <clears throat> because hollow ground is about forgiveness. These are about Civil War veterans, Confederates, and unions hugging, hugging each other, holding hands. Mm. It's set in the turn of the century, 50-year right. anniversary of the Civil War. 1913. And there's still folks holding on ah. to the grudge. Uh -huh. um, and I think about, you know, the Amber Geyer and the whole Me Too movement. So, I mean, uh, not Me Too, but Black Lives Matter. You know, it's interesting. I Yes, I'm a Christian, and Craig and I have talked about this on you got to have faith. But I also work in law enforcement, and I, if I had a nickel for every defendant that you know cried mm -hmm. and wanted a forgiveness, right. basically because they wanted to get a lesser sentence, mm -hmm. right. because they, you know they didn't really, really, you know, um, Did care. Did I really pay the, the consequences? Right, exactly. Right. I've always felt, and this is coming strange for me as a Christian, I will give you forgiveness if you ask me for forgiveness. Hmm. If you, I mean, because. My forgiveness is like the word love that's thrown around. It's not cheap. You know, you, there's a price to pay for that. I don't want to eternally hate you. I mean, you're talking to a guy, I remember not talking to my mother for 12 years mm. because we, there was a friction between the two of us. Mm -hmm. um, but when my mother was like in tears with her eyes, hey, listen. <coughs> you okay, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> okay. When she says, listen, I'm sorry for everything that I did. I'm so, so sorry. I'm like, Mom, I'm ready to forgive you, and I do forgive you. Mm -hmm. Let's have a hug, and let's renew our relationship. I was totally ready for that. Mm -hmm. And um, But I think there's a danger with giving forgiveness so early that the other person can say, oh, gee, hell, I can, right. I can do whatever the hell okay. I want to do. Yes. <laughs> uh, it shouldn't come cheap. I mean, obviously, yes, you should be ready to forgive. It's never healthy to hate, hate, hate. Mm -hmm. But my my I guess my my point of view is don't give it, don't give it so cheaply. Uh -huh. You ever thought about this, Paul? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it it's very interesting because <coughs> if you're a Christian or if you're a person that um, was raised as I was, um, it's all about unconditional love. Yeah, unconditional means unconditional. <coughs> so how does that butt up against conditional forgiveness? That's that's where I see the conflict. I'm not arguing against you. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that um, 
that's where it's got to come from. I, I suppose, I, I don't know. See, I don't, I don't know about holding back emotions and letting them out when it's mm. time or it's, I, I just sort of think you live your truth every day, mm -hmm. God's truth, your truth, however you want to define it, every day and are who you are. Mm -hmm. So, and, and saying, well, I'm not ready to forgive you right now is kind of like holding back right. in a way in which, I don't know, it just seems foreign to me. Yeah. It seems odd, but no, I understand. Oh, sure. Because of all the people that you gave good examples of who mm -hmm. are just using it as a tool. Right. Yeah. If someone wants forgiveness and you don't give forgiveness, I think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah. if someone really yeah. wants forgiveness, there's no reason for you to hold back. Right. So. Well, that's, I like the idea, though, of, of you staying true to you. <coughs> So, yeah, if you're wrestling, you can't honestly give forgiveness mm -hmm. if you were wrestling with some issues that you need to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. But maybe you want to look at that. But I liked that because otherwise, yeah, this whole thing is, is just too quickly gone and moved on and mm -hmm. what's going to accept that it isn't. Right. This witness got killed. Yeah, that's another and thing. The story I mean, who knows horrible. what's going on? Oh, you didn't hear about this, Paul. So there was a witness to, um, I guess, oh, this, is a, this is a neighbor. He, he was a neighbor, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, um, I don't know if it was within a week of the sentencing, he was shot and killed. They were yeah. like, oh, it's random. It's no big deal. Right. Oh, but a drug deal gone wrong. Yeah. There's no evidence of him <coughs> dealing with drugs. The guys that they're wow. claiming did it drove from hours away, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> and then left 12 pounds of weed. And five thousand dollars. So you kill the guy, really brutally kill mm -hmm. him. Like it's not an accident. You intentionally killed him and left the money. And then you left the money in the weed, but you drove all this way supposedly yeah. because of this weed. And remember, Amber Guy is a former Dallas police officer. Right. So who knows what's mm. going on with the Dallas police? It's, it's not anyway. looking good. And the very last thing I read this this morning. So there's a Latina Arthur. Uh, her name is I have it right here, Janine Capo Cruset. Uh, she wrote a book, actually a wonderful book, about uh, her experience as a Latina mm -hmm. growing up in a white environment. Right. Um, the book is called, let me see if I can find it real quick, uh, Make Your Home Among Strangers. Mm -hmm. So in any case, she goes to um, <coughs> Georgia Southern University oh, right. to yes. give a speech on it. And the white students just weren't having it. They were mm -hmm. like, oh, you're generalizing us and you know, saying that we have privilege. How could you say that? Right. How can you make such a sweeping statement? Mm -hmm. So to make a long story short, they took her book afterwards and burned it right. and put it on Instagram. Yep. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any, any thoughts? <laughs> uh, it, what, the, th the thing that sort of amazes me, I'm used to hearing racism from older individuals who mm -hmm. hold on to, let's say, what their granddaddies told them and whatever, and mm -hmm. and sort of this rigidity that comes with being older. And, and all of us are older, 50, over 50 years old here. Mm -hmm. But the newer generation, I really thought the millenniums would be more open to diversity and open to, you know, listening to people from different cultures or whatever, that they that they would be sort of immune to racism. Obviously not. Mm -mm. Obviously not. No, this whole 40 years of, of the Republican, the GOP strategy to yeah. try and get conservatives <coughs> into positions of power and stuff. Yeah. And to undermine, you know, d disputing facts mm -hmm. and saying it's debatable. You know, there's, there's evolution, but yeah. there's creationism, and we should study <coughs> them equally. And it's like, Which well, is why Shepard Smith left Fox. Did yeah. you hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. So – 
No, it's not a surprise to me that there's a younger generation because they've been working really hard for decades to get people into positions to mm -hmm. influence these young minds. My son, have you heard these stupid um, uh, their commercials for uh, it's a shaving product, Harry's Harry's Club or something? Oh, I've like heard about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All it is is the modern version of let's sell you some shaving cream and some razors. That's all it is. That's yep. all it is. But it's done in this really hip way mm -hmm. online. So my son has bought a bunch of this stuff. Okay. And I'm like. Uh, they, they're selling manhood too, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very image. much. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, dude, okay, so you claim, you think <coughs> that you young people understand the world without that, the colored lens of, of age and whatever. Yeah. Of the rigidity. Yeah. But you are the same sucker for marketing. Sure. That's why marketing works. That's why marketing people get paid so much mm -hmm. because they figure out what the human being will respond to. So, no, it's not a surprise to me that the young generation is picking up some really antiquated ideas and going, oh. And, and in fact, going the next step and going, we should burn the books. Yeah. Because that's American. Oh, God, yeah. Now, Paul, here's a question for you because you've lived here in the Bay Area you know, pretty much all of your life. A couple of years ago, I was in Berkeley – <clears throat> I was seeing a, a James Baldwin documentary, I'm Not Your Negro. I saw that. Yeah, that was wonderful, fantastic documentary. And But there was a rally, an alt-right rally in Berkeley. And I was like, whoa, that's, how can that even be possible? D have you seen a change? I mean, um, you know, y your writings focus on not just history, but also how people deal with one another. Are you, does it fascinate you that there are younger people who still hold on to, to hate? Not if it's taught well, <laughs> yeah, uh, or or you know exposed. Uh, no, it's uh, hate. Hatred is a cop out. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what I probably think is that uh, it's harder to. Well, it's that it's that status thing. It's like I'm better than you. I'm a number one. You're a number two. Uh, I'm white. You're black. I'm a I'm uh, I'm a <coughs> I'm an anti. Uh, well, it's just the way that people. <coughs> it blows my mind, but but it, but it's the way people learn to be themselves in opposition to somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of basic mechanics, uh, psychological mechanics involved, where in order for me to feel good about myself, I have to feel superior, and it's it's like at the heart of racism, and I don't know what that psychological. I guess the psychological need is I can't be myself unless I'm better than you. Yeah. Or I can't be myself unless I'm racially superior to you. <laughs> or, or I'm whatever. It, mm. It's uh, So it's always in opposition. So you love your race and yourself because you're not this other race. And so if you hate them, mm -hmm. that gives you more power in the hating. Uh, to I don't know if I'm just rambling, but uh, no, 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 no. This this is fine. This, but this is what you know, it's, all about. it's because that's the heart of it. That's what we're looking for. We're, we're, yeah. we're digging, you know, th underneath all these racial lines. Going, yeah. What, what starts this thing in the first? Yeah. Time? And I think it comes with upbringing, which gives me to a wonderful segue to get into an origin story. Mm. Okay. With, uh, Paul Harkness, because obviously you were not raised. I mean, you very easily could have been I was raised are you in privilege, but yeah. So are you California. Yeah. Oh yes, Bay yeah. Area. Yes, Ooh. in Oakland. My uh, yay! My great paternal great grandfather uh, sailed around the uh, the whatever mm -hmm. to, to, to from Europe to get into San Francisco before California was a state. Is so that right? Yeah, we're this is back uh, in 1848. Yeah, we're 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 
<laughs> pioneers. Yay. Uh, um, I'm I'm probably the 11th or 12th generation removed from the settlers in my family in Plymouth Rock and in wow. that, that whole area. In mm -hmm. fact, I've got I've got a book. Somebody did the <coughs> research, but uh, yeah. So I'm I'm a fifth generation and um, born in Oakland. And um, how was growing up in Oakland? This is like I the 1940s. I was born in Oakland. I grew okay. up in San Lorenzo. Okay. And which is right next door to Hayward, where I live now. So I didn't make it too far, <laughs> did I? <laughs> uh, I went one year to San Jose State. Yeah. And lived there, but uh, basically I'm an East Bay boy, have been all my life. Yeah. Um, what was the question? I was going <laughs> to say, what well, was it growing up during this time? I mean, because I imagine you were a kid well, right around this, the time of the, well, World War II. I do remember that I was born in November 30th, 1945. Mm -hmm. I do remember um, being in school and finding it odd being in Catholic school in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and only finding one black boy, one black kid in the mm -hmm. whole school. Yeah. And I didn't know how to relate to that. My parents taught me to love everybody regardless of color. Yeah. Um, and, and she, as a matter of fact, supported um, um, kids in, in other countries, in, in Africa, in, in South America, and whatever. It didn't matter what color they were. There were people that she needed to love and help and donate money to to, to help them survive. So I always learned about that selfless, gen generous kind of giving uh, of yourself to help other people from my, my mother. Yeah. And and my father was uh, was in that too. My father actually helped me. My brother Robert went to UC Berkeley uh, during mm -hmm. the free speech movement. Yeah, and just your mic because uh, we're, okay. we're getting your your, um, your whiskers. That's all. Oh, okay, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, okay. So Bay Area boy. And um, what was I going to say? My brother Bob was in the free speech movement. Just, yeah. just trying to show you. Yeah. Kind of an essence of my mother and father and my upbringing, and um, and the Hayward Daily Review, and was owned by a right wing. Actually, he was a member of the John Birch Society. Oh so yeah. So you can yeah. imagine how far right that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they had a book on the book rack. She was a PBX operator there. My mother at the newspaper, and there's a book mm -hmm. rack, and the, the one of the books right inside the door was uh, uh, called The Naked Communist. And had a big picture of a black figure with a hammer and sickle mm. in, in each hand, and and it was all this propaganda from the John Birch Society. Anyway, my brother is in the free speech movement, and he decided to write a letter to the Daily Review because they wrote some trash about how the the free speech movement was was a, an out was run being directed <coughs> by the communists. Yeah, you know it's an interesting and time. Uh, yeah, because usually I ask about you know what was your theater and you know how did you get involved right. in theater. Yeah, okay, and I, and that's I good. And I will ask you that, but. Just after the Civil War, after uh -huh. uh, not Civil War, I'm sorry, <laughs> after the uh, after World War II, of right. course, I'm, of course, I'm thinking about the Civil War. That's right. But there was a, I mean, when black soldiers came back to America after World War II, they were like, "Hey, listen, we want to be involved. We want to have a voice." There was sort of a uh, a free speech movement. I mean, even um, Jack Kerouac, and right. I think of. Um, uh, Rock McEwen wrote the uh, Listen to the Warm. I mean, there was a, uh, a movement of, hey, we want freedom of expression. And it clashed with a very conservative movement who were like, hey, look. Yeah, yeah, the Beat Generation. Right. And so this is right around that time. Well, out of the Beats comes, of course, the free speech movement and the, the mm -hmm. hippie thing and yeah. the, uh, the student demonstrations at, at, at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, my point was, was that the world I was living in was such that 
he had a right wing John Birch Society newspaper in town. And um, my brother Robert, who was in the free speech movement with Mario mm-hmm. Savio, and um, he wrote an article, he wrote an wrote a editorial, sent it to the Daily Review, and they took it. I watched what he wrote, and he saved a copy of it. It was all handwritten stuff. And um, they doctored it. They actually oh. edited it and manipulated it to be something entirely different from what he actually said mm. so that they could make him look like a fool hanging right. there with these, these wild assertions. Sure. And uh, my brother reported that to my father. Mm. He said, do you, do you believe everything you read in the newspaper, Dad? And Dad says, well, uh, why would anyone lie to me? <coughs> that kind of thing. He was, mm. he was naivete thing. And um, my brother said, okay, so let's do this. Let's run a little experiment. So he uh, wrote another letter. He responded to the to the manipulation of his mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. with another editorial. Mm-hmm. Sent and, and showed it see to See this, dad. dad? Yeah. We have a copy of this. We're just going to leave it on the table here. Yeah. Just going to leave it here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see what the Daily Review does. And the Daily Review took it, manipulated it, subtracted sentences, edited it, chopped it in a way in which he just looked like he's a fool and uh, obviously being duped by communists, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my father was shocked. Right, and he, he said, "My God, son, you're right. They did that, didn't they?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's my conservative Republican, uh, God bless him, uh, two jobs to support a family father, going to work, mm-hmm. and defending the free speech movement, and 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 uh, to his fellow salesmen who are mostly conservative middle class guys, you mm-hmm. know, selling food products like he was. Yeah. He would he would say, "Oh no, you know the newspaper actually." Uh, doctored what my son wrote they they manipulated that completely and and uh, censored it and did all this kind of stuff and so mm-hmm. newspapers can do that you know so mm-hmm. he, so he became yeah in other words you His live was open yeah you live the truth <laughs> yeah 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 i hear you so that was that was my father and my mother was a very conservative profound catholic and uh, she she supported my brother and me and whatever we did when we were yeah in our protest stuff yeah what about theater uh, did you get involved in theater when you were young no, actually, uh, I I did not. Uh, in high school, the, um, the the theater people were snobby, keep to themselves. Yeah. You can't be part <laughs> of this club, kind mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, in high school. Yeah, and uh, the only thing I got in was the senior show. Right, okay. everybody was in the senior show. Oh. Uh, I put on a toga and vaselined up my muscular arms with two other guys, and we were the Roman soldiers. And it, <laughs> okay. was, it was forum follies, a day in the life of high school back in the Roman time. Oh, ah. fun. So everybody got into the uh, the senior show. So that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, and I went off, and I was a philosophy major for, oh. uh, at San Jose State, transferred to Cal State Hayward, as it was called then, and um, did that for four years. And while I was doing that, uh, a buddy of mine I'd, I'd met at Chabot uh, when, when I was going to community college to get my grades back up after I flunked out of San Jose State. He, I met him, I met Marv, and he he was dating a prima ballerina of a ballet company. Mm-hmm. This is how the invisible hand of the arts grabbed me. And so he says, uh, would you like to go, I got tickets for the Utah Ballet, and it's going to be in the Oakland Auditorium thing. I said, sure, I'd, I've never been to a ballet before. And I, I was there, and I was just overwhelmed with all the lights and the music, and uh-huh. the dancing was exquisite, and... And Marv was engaged to Vicky, the prima ballerina for the Oakland mm-hmm. Metropolitan Ballet Company. So 
one day Marv says, hey, you know, uh, I'm on the stage crew for the Oakland Met, uh, the ballet company. Would you like to join me? I need somebody to help me work the fog machine. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. You know, in, 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 the, in the grand pas de deux, you know, the, or the, the dance of the flowers. There's got to be fog, a level of fog out on the stage sure. to dance through. And it's the old dry ice and water trick. So mm -hmm. I said, oh, well, yeah, I had this big barrel, and you drop the basket with the dry ice in, and it's set. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And the funnel goes up. And so I got on the stage crew. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, nine years have gone by, and I've evolved from from being um, the uh, property master and, and uh, lighting technician to the assistant stage manager, the stage manager, and the technical director. Wow, got in through tech. So I figured, well, I'll go to Cal State. I, I, I'm already in Cal State philosophy. I'll just change my major to technical theater. Oh, no. Really? Yeah, so I'm doing this stuff already with antiquated equipment, but why not just become a technical theater major? Uh -huh. So I got into Cal State and did applied, got in. I was on, working on my taking scene design and stage lighting, and this woman comes up to me, this young lady, she comes up and says, well, you know, uh, drama departments have run out of student actors. I, for my final for my final uh, grade in directing, I have to direct a one-act play, and I, I'm all out of actors. And I know you're a techie, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can direct you. Could, would you. Would you like to try out to be in a, in a play? Mm -hmm. and I was kind of startled and frightened and, and joyful and uh, excited at the same time. And I said, okay. So I was in this little one-act William Sarayan play called The Hungerers that she mm. directed for her final project and, and, and directed badly. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know when the play has gone south, even if it's the first one you ever acted in, when people are laughing at all the tender, intimate moments. Oh. oh. Like they're oh. slapstick or something. You know, and you're and, – and, but see, that's what I did. I remember I did her direction. I, I was true to what she directed me to do, mm -hmm. stayed in character, mm -hmm. and didn't play for laughs. <coughs> At the end of the thing, she came up to me and said, you know, you could be an actor. And, <laughs> the, and the reason is I directed you very badly in this play, and it went south very fast. And you stayed in character. You didn't break character. You didn't play for laughs. And you did what I directed you to do moment mm -hmm. by moment. And I said, that's if you can do that, you can be an actor. Uh -huh. and, and I said, well, it was, I did feel good. And next thing I know, uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, switching my major to acting directing option. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm now taking every class, auditioning for every play. I was probably in one or two plays yeah. a quarter for four or five years. Mm. That You brought up uh, something interesting. Um, here's a question I'll ask you, Norman. Have, as, as an actor, have you ever taken direction and you know the direction's horrible, but you said, what the hell with it? person told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, I, see, I had to develop that skill. I didn't have that initially. I was resistant, and I fought. And, and you can't win. With the director, you just can't win. So the way you win is, A, you try and do it exactly the way they told you to do it, and see if maybe they knew something you didn't. That happens a lot. A lot of times I'm like, oh, I didn't realize this. Okay, great. But there's a bunch of times where it doesn't work so well. When it's obvious to them that it's not working well, if they're a good director, they'll change it. And then there's that other little sliver of Who will blame you? directors. Well, whether they're blaming you or not, it's not working, and they're not recognizing that it's their direction. They're no. the reason it's not working. <laughs> and so with those, what I, what I finally evolved to, which I loved, was I'll take the direction. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'll see if I can do it the way you're asking me to do it. 
if it still doesn't feel right to me, then I'm going to try something else. And I used to be afraid of getting notes from directors, but I realized that's actually sometimes the only communication you're going to have with this person. Uh, their only way <coughs> to communicate to you is to go, no, don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I got mm -hmm. to the point where instead of trying to be a good student, I'd grown up being a good student. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, let's make some mistakes and see what adjustments come out of it. Right. And, you know, that's a, that's a good point because there are times where I'll make a change, a subtle change. And I'll be like, well, let's see if I get a note on it. Right, exactly. And if I don't get a note, it's like, okay, yeah. smooth sailing. Yeah, <laughs> works for you, works for me. Right, right, exactly. So you got, so you became an actor or you yeah, studied I, acting. Yes. Uh, well, and I had a, I had a roommate who uh, went to El Cerrito High School, Drew Letchworth, who oh. uh, wanted to put together. Comedian, uh, right? Huh? Is that am I thinking? He's an improviser. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was in the Bo e Fratelli Bologna. Yes. Bologna Brothers, yep. and, and was in the movie The Right Stuff with all those yeah. guys. Wow, yeah, look yeah, at yeah. that small Drew, world. Drew was my roommate for six years. Yeah. And anyway, we went to Cal State Hayward together as theater students. Mm -hmm. And uh, his acting instructor at El Cerrito High School, Peg Long, was going to play uh, Queen Elizabeth in uh, the Renaissance Pleasure Fair in Novato. And he got a booth together to, to take care of kids and make little puppets out of fruits and vegetables oh. and asked me if I wanted to do that. And then mm -hmm. at the end of that, he said, hey, you know, we we're, want we're, we're to do the Dickens Christmas Fair in San Francisco. We just want to start up an entertainment area called Fizzy Wakes uh, where, uh -huh. where it will be continuous uh, dancing Victorian dances and playing Victorian parlor games on the hour all day long into the evening. And um, would you like to be part of that? And I said, Sure, that was 1975, and mm -hmm. we put together Fezziwigs, and we had uh, bands and little chamber groups come in and play waltzes and polkas and galops and mm -hmm. and in character. So we did a character basically all day long. Right. It was environmental theater, so you had to know how to sing, to dance, to act, to put this character out there and, and keep it running. Right. Keep the machine running, so it was always music and dancing or games being played. So people walking by would go, oh, what's going on in here? Right. And uh, so that was real intense and really great experience in terms of getting all those qualities as an actor going at yeah. the same place. So I worked the Dickens Christmas Fair for 20 years. Mm. I worked the Renaissance Fair from 1975 to 1993. Um, but out of that came, um, besides the experience, I got confidence. Oh, I can do this for eight hours a day. I, I ought to be able to do a play somewhere. Right. So then I, you know, I auditioned at uh, Julia Morgan. It was called Epic West Theater then. Mm -hmm. The front of it on uh, of the Julia Morgan was the, Bert the Center for the Study of Bertolt Brecht. Yeah. Ah. It was the front theater, that old <coughs> Episcopal church right on college. Behind it was a smaller theater called Epic West. and. So I auditioned for a play and got in the real Inspector Hound as mm -hmm. uh, Bird Boot in 1978, and sort of I tried to do that every year uh -huh. from then on. Um, so there's the fairs, the Dickens Fair, the Christmas Fair, and then right. then Jim Letchworth and Drew Letchworth, and we were the initial ones. We were E. Mm -hmm. Fratelli Bologna. Uh huh. Uh, no, excuse me, E. Familia Bologna. We uh -huh. were the Bologna family, right. out of which Drew and Ed Holmes and uh, Richard DePel broke away uh -huh. and created E. Fratelli Bologna. Right. So we st have stayed um, together as a group. The rest of us, who were now the 
Tutti Frutti Comedia Company. Uh-huh. I've heard of that. Doing no, slapstick Italian comedy uh-huh. to the present. Although it's you know slim pickings now that we're all older, but um, we still do uh, wineries and private parties uh-huh. and, and, and huh. Italian no. festivals. We can still get it together. Right. Is this is this Commedia dell'arte? Commedia dell'arte. Yeah, I, I am. Mi chiamo Dottore Bologna. I am Dr. Bologna, the world's <laughs> smartest man. <laughs> Ask me anything. Funny, funny. Uh, so I, my my two characters were the Doctor Il Dottore and the uh, braggart soldier Capitano. Mm-hmm. And Jim Letchworth did three or four characters, and Drew did Puccinella, and uh, and we all, well, they broke off and did E for Tully Bologna, but we've kept it going. Um, now you have a, a 65-year-old uh, Arlecchino and a uh, 60 67-year-old Colombina. Uh-huh. Right. Know, so we're, we're actually doing the way the traditions uh, uh, succeeded back in the, in the 400 years ago. Right. You get a role, you get it for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we did. Right. I mean, I think I was 29, and Jim Letchworth was uh, 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 three years, five years younger. And we were at the Renaissance Fair putting together our first commedia, which had acrobatics and, and tumbling and juggling, and it was really full and mm-hmm. rich. And that was 1979. Uh-huh. And backstage, I remember looking at Jim and saying, you know, if we're true to the tradition, we're not going to have to put fake gray eyebrows on to be <laughs> the old man. We were the old men. Pantaloni the miser and right. Dottore yeah. the pedant. W- so we had to dress up to be the old men. We had to costume ourselves that way. And I said, we do the roles true to life. There's going to be one day we're going to be looking at each other sitting there and we're going to go, we did grow into the roles. We are the old men now. We don't have to pretend to be the old men. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then we were. It's a gorgeous place to be <coughs> as an actor. That happened. Oh, I don't have to fake that. I am I that. know that. I yeah. am that. And that was 30 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Right. One, one day at his house, I said, you know, you know, it's been 30 years now that you've <laughs> been <laughs> Pantalone and Arlecchino. And yeah. That I've been. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, there are a lot of people who they, you know, you do a run of a show and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of this show. I'm, well, I've got to move it to something else. But then you have, let's say, what you're doing, you know, with that. And also, you told me off mic about the, uh, I think you do a murder mystery or you murder. did a murder mystery. Yeah. And, you know, the concept of doing a show over and over and over again and finding different things within, right. you know, doing the show, mm-hmm. that it never gets old. Well, 1991 to 1993, I was in the Sherlock Holmes Theater Company in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You're looking at Inspector Lestrade and Dr. Watson. Mm-hmm. I'm Dr. Watson. How do you do? <laughs> so pleased to meet you. Holmes, Holmes, get your hand off that syringe. <laughs> uh, whatever. We, is yeah. we did four shows in three years. And um, we did Sherlock Holmes and the Curse of the Sign of Four in mm-hmm. 1991 for nine months. Mm-hmm. And so at certain times in the Holiday Inn Union Square Hotel, mm-hmm. the very top floor was a Sherlock Holmes recreation, recreated room 221. Baker uh, Street, uh-huh, right? Yes, because the owners of the hotel and of the of the Gray Line tours were uh, Baker Street irregulars. Mm-hmm. They were Sherlock Holmes aficionados. Right. They built a Sherlock Holmes bar museum on the top floor of the Holiday Inn. Damn. Oh well, why don't we put on a play there? Said said our producer. Right. So we had the Savoy Room, the banquet room, right across from the bar museum, and he had they had an actual duplication of two two one B Baker Street, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I would hang around out in front as Dr. Watson. Oh, how do you do? Did you know that my colleague, Sherlock Holmes, is in town and he's going to solve a mystery? 
for the police this evening. You should know that. And, and Dustin will be trailing along behind while I'm doing all this character <coughs> stuff. Happen, just happen to have tickets to the evening performance <laughs> in the hotel. Uh, you know, yeah. and he said, oh, well, you, you too can, you can actually join Sherlock while well, he does solve this case. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we did it for three years. Huh. And so, uh, you know, that stay. But, but, but during the run of Sherlock Holmes and the Curse of the Santa for nine months, um, the, the guy, the actor, his name is George. George, who played Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. he uh, comes up to me and says, hey, man, you know, what, what can we do to, you know, to get the same lines, the same business? Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, so without changing the blocking, okay, here's the deal. I was playing Inspector Lestrade. Lestrade thinks he knows. This is our right. contrast. Lestrade thinks he knows absolutely exactly what's going on and what all the clues mean. And he, he himself doesn't really have a clue. Right. Holmes knows what's going on, what all the clues are, and, and you know, takes notes in his notebook. So he's writing in his notebook. So. so we improvised a line where he walks up to me at some point and he says, Lestrade, you wouldn't know the truth if it hits you on the shoulder. And he taps me with the notebook with mm. all the truth in it. Right. Ah, there you go. So we started discovering little bits, right. you know, yeah. that <coughs> that we could get, the audience could get. We started inventing those things, mm -hmm. and that's what made it interesting. It's yeah. cool. It's cool uh, listening to you. There's theater, you know, the theater companies that say, well, "Okay, what's our season going to be?" But then you can create theater for a particular niche of people. Let's say right. Sherlock Holmes folks, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. find your audience right there. You yeah. don't even have to, you know, say, "Gee, I hope the audience comes in." You've got the audience built in. That's pretty cool. And that's the opposite of a lot of theaters that are going to do this new thing that nobody's ever seen. It's going to be so great. And then they scream, especially when you deal with things like ethnic theater, where sure. they're like, how come no black people came to see our show? Because black people, if they know about your theater, know it as a place where there's no black theater. So mm -hmm. you, yeah, if you're not reaching out to an audience. Right. right. That's exactly right. And what are you doing? Yeah. Let's let's talk about hollowed ground because we're it's okay. we've got about eleven minutes. Okay. Because you're passionate about it, you've been working on this thing I think for mm. three years since I've met you, probably even right. longer. I think we talked right. about it a number of times. On yeah. The, yes, on we the have. Podcast, which okay. means I've been promoting you. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate but, that. But but you're passionate about that. You're not just passionate about history. You know, I meet people who are history buffs, and they're like, "Oh, did you know about the Credit Mobilier scandal of the Grant administration?" I'm like, well, how does that apply to me? But Civil War, we're still you know, like if it isn't, um, right. who's who's the um, who's who's the um, the the documentarian? Ken Burns. Ken Burns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it isn't Ken Burns, uh, there's a movie Harriet that's coming out. Mm. Twelve, Twelve years as a slave. Mm. We're still sort of working out the whole civil war and slavery and what does it mean to us? And, you know, even in Congress now, they're talking about reparations. Jeff Sessions, Lindsey Graham. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad you mentioned Ken Burns. That was my moment of inspiration. The very, oh, uh -huh. the very last episode, I believe, part nine, in that documentary series I've seen 12 times. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lie. The, uh, it's called The Better Angels of Our Nature mm -hmm. and talks about the 50th anniversary reunion. It has some newsreel footage. It has some still photos. And uh, I, I was coming in from the kitchen with a plate of hot food, and it came to the moment where they were doing the ceremonial recreation of, of Pickett's Charge at, at the 50th anniversary reunion in 1913 in Gettysburg, right on the site where it actually took place. They're doing <coughs> the ceremonial recreation. Mm -hmm. And so they got like 
180 northerners and 120 southerners and you couldn't be in it unless you were actually in the actual Pickett's Charge in the Battle of Gettysburg. And they're going to do this whole thing. And that, so they got the, and they're all these guys are in their late, mid to late 70s, early 80s. And, oh. and they got to charge each other. They're supposed to charge each other. Right. And some of them had canes. So, so it's just kind of, <laughs> kind of slow mo thing. Uh-huh. They're going to meet at the, at the bloody angle, the wall where the, the, the South died crest of the confederacy was defeated and pushed back and um, stand there and just shake hands over the wall and pose for formal photos and they have those formal photos uh northerners southerners finding peace finally together uh, letting the war be over Uh, newsreel footage still and what actually happened on that day with a hundred thousand civilians around plus you know all these uh actual surviving Civil War veterans mm. uh, was that at the exact hour, uh, minute, and second that the charge actually took place 50 years earlier in 1863, they signaled to go, and these guys are supposed to charge each other. Well, they, s- they just sort of stopped and dropped their canes and just broke, broke that moment completely wide open and rushed as fast as they could toward each other and grabbed each other and in a loving, forgiving, transcendent embrace, with tears flowing and hugging each other, and um, they wouldn't let go of each other. Yeah. And the audience, this audience of, of tens of thousands of people, let out this big sigh, this big moan that had never been heard before, because they're in that moment with them. Right. And it's a transcendent moment, and it's totally Im- Im- spontaneous with these, with these. And I was still standing there with my food, and I'm going, Good Lord, isn't that where we want to be? Mm-hmm. Isn't that where we want to be? Beyond North, beyond South, beyond beyond Yankee, beyond Red, and and, and let's put in beyond Black and beyond White. Mm-hmm. Just where it's the place where we all get it together. Mm-hmm. And and I and, and that was my spark. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that happens at the end of the play. Yeah, yeah. You know, because and that's just my way of saying, look, folks, you know, we can transcend all this BS and all the separation and differences, whatever we make them out to be, if we take the power, take control and do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I was, when we did the last reading, or actually the reading that I was involved in, I was your lead character. Right. You basically have an individual, a black person who was once a slave, who and I think was also a Union soldier, and a uh, a white person who I think was a Confederate. Yes, um, they're basically writing a poem together. They're basically just taking. Oh. It's basically they're on a train. Mm-hmm. They're writing. Um, you know, we're we're so used to having plays or movies or films that have action. You know, right. there's something going on. Right. There's an explosion. There's confrontation. There's you know these cliche lines or whatever. Your play is a very slow-moving play. It's really just about the atmosphere of two people connecting with one another and a sort of love on almost an intimacy between heterosexual men writing a play. I mean, I'm sorry, writing a poem Mm -hmm. about being together. And we live in a very cynical society. You know, a lot of folks Mm -hmm. are like, ugh. But it's something that we need. I I totally agree with you. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's... um you said something that I, I wanted to correct, but I don't remember what it was exactly. Which was, uh, oh, uh, uh, Jim wasn't a slave. 
his mother was. Yes, uh, yes, yes. And um, but he was a union, he, was, he was a Union soldier. Correct. Yes. Well, his his the 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 bookstore owner bought bought um, his mother's freedom. Mm-hmm. Oh, he didn't uh-huh. buy her as a slave. He bought her freedom. Got right. it. And um, and with the hope that she, he, she would come and run his household, not be a slave, but mm-hmm. run his household, because mm-hmm. he had a bookstore connected to it, and and, and oh, the battery's gone dead on my left hearing aid, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you hear this? <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, he he was a Civil War soldier with the 54th Massachusetts Colored. Yeah, mm. it's hard to, wow. and, uh, and of course that's a Freudian slip because I think, well, if you're a black man yeah. in 1860. How can you yeah. have not been a slave? But, of course, they were free men. There were lots of <coughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> Well, even the South, in their most desperate m- uh, desperation at the end of the Civil War, Jefferson Davis actually said, you know, I guess we better actually uh, have black soldiers on our side fighting against the black soldiers on the Union side or right. against the Union because they ran out of – they didn't have enough bodies. They right. ran out of soldiers. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they condescended to, oh, well, yeah, okay, but too late. <laughs> yeah, I think the if there were any blacks who fought for the Confederate, it was under duress, <coughs> under the gun. Well, those are the the two at the Civil War reunion in uh, 1913, the, the two black soldiers who came wearing their Confederate uniforms. Hmm. Mm. They got razzed. Oh, is that a polite way? They got picked on a lot by the black Union Civil War veterans. <laughs> I, <laughs> I imagine so. I imagine so. In their uniforms, got, hey, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I wish the absolute best for hollowed ground. Also, just before we get into show, no, uh, sh- you know, other the other stuff, you're working on uh, another play dealing with homeless issues. Um, can you, you want to talk yeah, a little bit about that? I know sure. it's in its developmental stage, sure. but yeah. you and I are doing the same thing. Because I right. told you there's a play that I'm working on, a one act that I've written that deals with homeless. So, <laughs> uh, there you go. We're riding the same. <laughs> we're riding on the same pony, brother. Yeah, there you go. Uh, which is, which is, you know, these are the most important things. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I just had a had a thought about a character. I just I was dreamt it, a character, a homeless man who's on a bench. I drive by where I live in Hayward like, to get on the freeway. I drive by this corner where the homeless people go down off the embankment down into the woods down below, and, mm-hmm. and they have shopping baskets up above, maybe with their their possessions. And right. And so I'm reminded of it daily. Sure. Yeah, um, of course. So then, of course, taking barred in through Oakland or Berkeley or whatever. But right. um, I just had this, this dream of this, this homeless guy who was actually at one point uh, a very – he was a university professor. Huh. He was a philosophy professor at the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. and he lost everything. He became an alcoholic. He, you know, got kicked out of this – he lost his family. He lost everything, basically, and he's uh, sleeping on a, on a park bench in, in this park. And on warm weather and in a tent by the creek with the other mm-hmm. encamp people with tents in the wintertime. Stay and warmer. He, and he meets a woman who's also homeless. He meets a woman who's, uh, no, she's not. She is uh, not homeless at all. She's a sort of middle class, but she's a, vi- a victim of uh, battering by her husband, of spousal abuse. And she just had her husband arrested. But but the unique moment is, of course, she's, she's just uh, put him in jail again. She's not going to bail him out. Mm. And she's at the end of her rope. She's not going to let him be her husband anymore. She's going to divorce him. Mm-hmm. She's, all these emotional things are happening. And she doesn't want to go home after she, after she visits him in jail to say goodbye. 
She doesn't want to go home and sh because all these supporters and all this should be overwhelmed with emotion with these people supporting her. She just wants to go somewhere neutral. So she figures she'll go into a park and get a, you know, sit on a bench for a while. Sure. Well, guess whose bench she lands on, right. right? So she wakes the guy up who's just under newspapers. She wakes the guy up, and he wakes up. And, oh, oh, they scare each other. And mm. there's this guy. All the newspapers falling on the ground, and, and she's sitting there. He felt her weeping, the vibration of her body, the weeping through the bench she was laying on, and right. it actually woke him up. Mm -hmm. So he's he, they sort of become there for each other to be available to hear each other's stories. Uh -huh. And um, she basically invites him home to have a meal a shave and a shower mm -hmm. and to help himself to her husband's clothes and take whatever he wants. Sure. Wow. That's what I got so far. <laughs> no, no, it's powerful. I, I can't wait to see it develop. One last question before we get into Sure. <coughs> what does theater mean? I mean, why, you know, um, what does theater mean to you? It's an open-ended question. Well, <coughs> it's one of the last places, I think, where you can put pictures of who we are up uh, up on a, a stage for everyone to look at uh, so that you can inspect the human soul and, and all of its uh, successes and failures in, in a way in which you can be inspired or, or you can have uh, you can get new awareness uh, um, it's a, it's it's the artistic place I mean plays have music they have character they have story they have all these elements they have scene design which is art they have all these arts coming together in one place mm -hmm. and where you can just you can tell stories and you can tell the human stories that need to be told for us to to get pictures of ourselves to improve as a human race and to see the depth of the soul of the people involved and it's um as opposed to i mean there's a place for superficial musicals Mm -hmm. There's a place for Eugene O'Neill. There's a place. But I think that what we really need to do as a country is heal mm -hmm. and, and find new ground. Find Go to the mm -hmm. higher ground. You mm -hmm. know, get to that place where we can have the conversations where we can unite as human beings and, and, and stop the division and divisiveness that just is tearing us apart. And the th stage, you can put those people up on stage. Yeah, that, I think that's awesome. It's well, well, well said. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you've been quiet, Norman. <laughs> you've just been listening. I was no. I what I I, I just enjoyed, um, for lack of a better word, hearing your pedigree um, and the roots in Bay Area theater, and not just Bay Area theater, but in making very active theater, um, you know, off the beaten path, and mm -hmm. it's well, it's necessary. I love every time somebody goes to Broadway or gets in a film or gets on a TV show and everybody here goes, oh, I remember Kathy, you know, Kathy, blah, blah, blah. We did blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's great for the for us, for the actual people who work with them. That's wonderful. I do it. I, you know, I'm very proud of the achievements of those people that I've known organizationally as a culture, as a theater culture. I don't see that there's a whole lot of offering of ladders to people so that you can go from this level to the next level to the next level. Um, each place sort of just holds on to what they've got. Because mm -hmm. it works. It seems to work. Productive. Yeah, it goes it's on. Profitable. But, um, but in the doing of that, there's almost like they use the people as their ladder. So they kind of expect everybody to stay down below them or beholden to them. 
And then that one gets beyond them and gets to that place of achievement and recognition and suddenly go, oh, we love so-and-so. But I remember in the date book, it was a few years ago in the date book, um, there was a guy who was here, and he was actually part of the mime troupe for a while, very successful. But, you know, he's trying to make a living, and he's trying to do that next thing with his career. So he goes to L.A., and he sort of disappears in L.A. But if you're paying attention, he's doing projects, and he actually gets to the point where he's producing. Yay! So they interviewed him because he was involved with a film. There was this SF Film Festival, and some film he was involved with was coming through. So they interviewed him, and they said, you know, you've got this pedigree. You've got this time that you've put in in Bay Area Theater. And, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts about it? And they ask about all the big-name places. He barely said anything about the big-name places. The thing that he actually waxed eloquent about was the places where he felt seen, the places where he felt like he was a part of something important, and the places that really did reach an audience, because it doesn't matter how profound your play is if nobody sees it. <laughs> um, but to, to learn all those things, that's what he talked about. So he, they kept trying to bring it back to the mind troop, and he was polite. <laughs> but it wasn't the thing that made it rich. And <coughs> when we do this show, I feel like the thing is, I always keep coming back to the idea of a tapestry. We get to talk to these people who are a part of what is really Bay Area theater. Yeah. And, and it's exciting to hear that. No, yeah, it's very exciting, and also hearing about because they're always. I'm always amazed to hear pockets of theater that I'd never heard about, like the Commedia dell'arte. Oh, or the I know the Bolognas. <laughs> I know them. I've, I saw them for years. I worked with some of the guys. Yeah, well, I've heard. I've heard the name Jim Leftwich thrown Le- around. Letchworth. Letchworth. Uh-huh. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard his name thrown around, but I've I, you know I've yet to see him. So you know you get little glimpses or whatever, but. Um, no, it's very cool to see these little pockets mm-hmm. of theater companies that are still around. Well, yeah, that's the other part of it is mm-hmm. I know lots of people who 30 years ago were doing theater. They aren't doing anything connected now. To hear somebody who's like, no, we're working on this. I'm thinking about this. I'm working on this because it still means something to me. Like, yeah. Yes, that's who I want to be when the I grow flame up. Is, the flame is still burning. You know, I it hasn't blown it out going. yet. Yeah. Uh, no, well, no. I, I sort of just <coughs> got to the end of working at Cal State East Bay where I worked in purchasing and contracts for 25 and a half years. I got 33 years of credit working on the staff at Cal State East Bay. And mm-hmm. I retired from there. And in 2009, I went to a different murder mystery, and they didn't need me on the Napa Valley wine train anymore after 17 and a half years. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I could take this moment to just sort of retire from right. acting. Yes. See what happens. And then that the, the writing thing, I've dabbled in. I've written all the family eulogies. <laughs> I've written yes. I've written all the the best uh, letters uh, that mm-hmm. are written from family members and whatever. Um, and my mother dabbled in writing as as a, a for the Catholic Digest and, and ah, mm-hmm. she put some articles, whatever she wrote to the local church bulletin. But she had that skill level. Right. She wrote a a, uh, a memoir of getting married during to my father during World War Two. And it's just, it's a narrative. It's just brilliant writing. Anyway, yeah, I figured, well, I wonder if I could do that. You certainly can. Uh, thank you. you. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm enjoying the risk-taking and um, the rewards and the, the wonderful people I get to meet in the, in the, in the process. And uh, I'm going to keep doing it. I, I, I have to say, I am a writer, and I am a playwright. Yay! <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. And... Um, it's it's fantastic. We didn't even get to talk about you know the uh, the writing, 
the the playwright the the groups that sponsored readings, stayed readings, and all this stuff. But right, you know, we, we, we we passed on. We that. we, we, yeah, we will, talked about we it. Will, we will hit on it at some point. No, sure. I was happy when you said we were having a playwright. I was like, wow, we haven't. It's been a minute. We, yeah, we usually do pretty good, but you know, sometimes we just get far afield. Right, right, exactly. And you are available. A lot of folks are taking vacation and stuff Thank like you. that. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> That's the other thing. If I'm not writing, I'm on a cruise ship. Yeah. Oh. There, there you go. Mm-hmm. So let's do shout-outs. Birthdays, well, we have yours truly. Yay! <laughs> 1959. Holy cow. Yeah, and still rolling. You were yeah, born in 59? I was born in 59, yeah. When I was 14 years old. Mm. I didn't even ask that's, you about rock and roll. Ago, wasn't it? Were you listening to Elvis Presley and all that stuff? Well, you must have been like a young, young kid. Uh, that was the explosion of rock and roll. Are today. you lonesome? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Norman. Oh, yeah. Where did I do it? There it is. Um, so it's funny. Uh, there's a lot that must have been going on nine months ago because there's explosion of kids, bringing yeah. babies. Um, but uh, Akina Gosh is a um, young actor um, that I just worked with in uh, As You Like It all summer. Um, and there were a couple of people in the show. There were some folks that I really I knew their work and I respected them. And there were a couple of people I didn't know anything about. She was one. She starts to do this song, and I get tears in my eyes. And for the first few rehearsals, I finally at some point had to say to myself, what is my character feeling at this moment? Because I cannot stand here with tears in my eyes because it was just so gorgeous. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, there's just an honesty in what she did. So happy to find out that we share a birthday. And then the big name on my list this uh, week is L. Peter Calendar. Peter Calendar, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) it's his birthday. I met him standing in a line to go into some event in San Francisco, and I mm-hmm. turned around and said, you're L. Peter Callender. And he said, yes, who are you? I said, I'm Paul Harkness. I brought my kids to the to the San Francisco, or the African-American Shakespeare Company mm-hmm. to see a play there because he gave us free tickets. Uh-huh. You know, so I brought all the kids that were directing in these shows, and I'm very grateful for that. And, oh, well, yeah, okay. So we, we that's how I met him. That's cool. Uh, Ryan Montgomery is, I first saw as an actor in Bay Area Theater, and, um, but he was also doing set design and props and stuff, and now he does this incredible woodwork, and that's who he is. Um, Annika Bergman uh, was actually a replacement in our summer show, and poor woman had to come in and fill in for the other person that I hadn't known who was amazing. Like, she would do this song, and the audience would go nuts. And then we'd have this comic scene that had to come in afterwards. And I was like, whoa, because hers was a very sophisticated kind of comedy, and we're coming in with slapstick. And I was like, uh. And I told her finally, I'm competing with you. (laughs) And you're winning. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so she left the show, the first woman who was first doing it. And this other woman, this poor woman, got like five or six shows to get up to speed. So she said, I said something about, well, you know, in a couple of weeks you'll feel better about it, joking about the end of the run. And she's like, no, in a couple of weeks I probably will still be panicking. I'm like, yeah. But she did fend. And it was the same thing where her way of coming at it was so different from the other actor. It was beautiful. Uh, Michael Ray Wisely. I learned an important thing about being in a career in theater. So Michael did, uh, we did the Scottish play down in San Jose many, many years ago. And the actor playing the lead and another actor hadn't worked together in nine years. And as a young man, I was like, 
And they were so excited, you know, they said very publicly how excited they were about working together again. And I was like, oh, this is great. The team's getting back together. This is going to be fantastic. I now know that there's no, you, no reason to even blink. Nine years will go by, <laughs> and you guys will be lucky if you shake hands again in nine years. It's, you know, it's just the nature of the work. But he was, um, oh, gosh, I can't even remember the name of the character now. He's basically one of the heroes who kind of hangs in there and then comes back to um, bring unity to the uh, the kingdom. You're talking about the Scottish play? In the Scottish play. It's Malcolm or Macduff. Yeah, um, not Malcolm. I mean, uh, yeah, Malcolm, not Macduff. Macduff. No, not Malcolm. Malcolm is the son, right? Yes. Duncan's son. No, it was one of the other warriors, but okay. he – he just became a constant through the play. I don't know for sure because I'm seeing the play tonight at uh, oh, right. at Cal uh, Shakes. Yeah. Oh, Cal Shakes is doing it too? Tonight. SF Shakes has also got it going on right now. Their school tour is doing it. Uh, Carolyn Doyle? That's right. Our good I, friend. I figured you would pick that <coughs> up. Yeah, it's Dina all good. Handler. Mm-hmm. Um, James Lantoyo, who you probably don't know, but uh, at the same time that you were working at Bindlestep or starting to hang out at Bindlestep, mm-hmm. he was a young actor coming through there. Oh, cool. So I got to work with him a little bit. Local, Oakland local, Lori Zook um, is a producer and has produced all kinds of music events and theater events in Oakland. Mm. So happy about her. Casey Jones Bastions and I did musicals together way back in the day, and I bumped into her about a month ago. And she said, Mr. G, I've been watching your career lately. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Check I remember, <laughs> and I couldn't, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking to myself, yeah, and about 10 years ago or so, I was jealous of you because she was just doing it. She's gotten into producing more now, so she's still pretty, you know, still creative, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. on the other side of the table. Matt, I'm going to mess up his name, Zim Manowski, um, is somebody I know through Each One Reach One, helped with playwriting, and then ended up doing some screenwriting, and oh. that's where his focus has been in recent years is film. Uh, Matthew Balin is an actor I know from what I will call the Tri-Valley area, that, that Dublin... Pleasanton, Livermore, right. stretch. Yeah. <coughs> uh, and then Rolanda, so it's funny, it's somebody I've known for a long time. On the other end is Rolanda Denis, mm-hmm. who is here, again, another Oakland person, and um, fantastic. And she was in um, Blind Spotting. Ah, wow. Um, you remember the party scene in Blind Spotting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a black couple or their friends it's not real clear what they are but they're hanging out together mm-hmm. she's one of those folks so she's at the party scene oh, and gets right to on. see all that craziness that happens there yeah um Taran, yeah and another name i'm gonna up yegi zarin okay um it runs golden thread productions here so the persian theater company mm-hmm. um amazing it's funny i don't think i've ever seen her act I know that she does it every now and then. She mm-hmm. is a solid director and an amazing producer and just a wonderful community resource. Nice. Her birthday's coming up this week. And then the last one is Paige Rogers. Paige. Right on. Oh, well, I will mm-hmm. I will pass it over to you with that. Yeah. No, no, no. Paige Rogers. I think Cutting Ball, right? Yeah. Or yes, yes, yes. That's yes, right. Yes, yes, well, the, uh, yeah. Well, formerly now because I guess they're both stepped away, she and her partner. Oh, yeah. Have they moved? I think so. I think he's working back east. Yeah, there are a bunch of folks like uh, did it shock Rob you? Rob Melrose. Yeah, you know? do you know Rob Melrose? No. Okay. I've heard the name. That sounds yeah. like uh, he started uh, the Cutting Ball Theater. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of moving, there are a lot of folks who have moved. Craig Dickerson has now moved I to know, Texas. I know. I was did bummed. That I didn't yeah. get to say goodbye. I know. He sort of just left. I got a phone call. He was like, hey, I'm leaving in 10 days. And right. we did one last Faith episode, and mm-hmm. boom, that was it. 
also Michael Greeley, she's moved. Right, to Portland or someplace up in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Harders, they've moved. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they just finally moved. Does that mean their theater company is done? I thought that they passed it on to other folks. Oh, good. So I'll find out who's running off-Broadway West. That'll be exciting Um, to hear. (laughs) And also there's a fundraiser for the Phoenix Theater. Mm -hmm. Linda Ayers Frederick needs help, so I'll be talking a little bit about that. I'll be there tomorrow. Is that oh, right? What are, they, what are they doing? Three, three GT, three girls. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing a show. I don't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. I just read this morning about about that. I should have brought my yeah. ticket. It's the only way I'd know the name because I uh, yeah. hurriedly got a ticket. Oh. I'll uh, see if I can pull it up. But also, along with you, a good friend of mine, Elizabeth Croydon. She and I were in uh, Duke Ellington School of the Arts. She's now a comedian. As a matter of fact, she's been. I think she's been on TV. Uh, she's you know sort of a mover and a shaker. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has a birthday fundraiser for the Southern Poverty Law Center. So, uh, Elizabeth, her birthday's today. We've talked about Carolyn Doyle. Uh, let's see. Who else? Um, oh, my sister. I'll give a throw out to my sister, Nicole. Her Yay. birthday is Tuesday. Also on Tuesday, Christine Uren, who is a, um, a very good friend of mine, a playwright. She uh, specializes in Victorian um, playwriting. Uh, she gets huh. into – she'll take a like a Jane Austen novel – and adapt into a play. And uh, she's, I've acted with her on stage. She was an ex-Eastender, and uh, I've also done some sound editing for her for uh, some of her plays. And she's married to um, Gene Mossy, who is who just did Three Musketeers at the DMT. <coughs> so, Christine, uh, happy birthday to you. Her birthday is uh, Tuesday. Also, uh, let's see. We're talking about Paige. Also on s- Wednesday, the 16th, is Aaron Martinson. I remember acting with him. It was probably the last EastEnders thing that I did. He was sort of a hired gun, but he was a really, really talented young actor. Mm. Uh, we did um, uh, Pride Open. That's what it was. Pride Open. Yeah. On Thursday, Dale Murphy. I don't know if you know who Dale Murphy mm-hmm, is, but yeah. he is a uh, local actor, uh, an older gentleman. He, uh, I think I met him. Oh, shucks. I believe it was... Um, Ray of Light Theater. Ray of Light Theater, we did Bat Boy. And I believe he was one of the sheriffs in Bat Boy. And he's gotten me several jobs. And hmm. he's been following my career, and I've been following his. And Dale is just a fantastic guy. Uh, let's see. And that's it for me. Also, uh, I got a message from John Ritchie, the uh, second half of uh, Plethos. Yes. And John Ritchie says, hey, Reg, I was just thinking about you and Norman the other day. I have been enjoying the Facebook memories Yes. The Four Men in Paris, such yeah. a great show and an amazing theater moment. And they're in the middle of doing Next to Normal, right. which is uh, Plethos' next show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Dorado's in it. Oh, nice. So Yay. I kind of feel because when we worked with Michael doing Four Men in Paris, he had been out of theater for a while. Yeah. And I like to, th- I like to think that we got him back in. I would be <laughs> thrilled to think that. He's, he's a wonderful guy. Yeah, yeah. Shows. Um, well, so tonight it's not theater; it's it's music. But it's this uh, Venezuelan celebration. My mm-hmm. wife is playing it, so cool. that's where I'm celebrating my birthday. So mm-hmm. I'll put that out there. Um, and then coming up next week, and I was right; it is uh, Dracula, which I directed, mm-hmm. and it'll be at Soda um, School of the Arts in San Francisco, Rukasawa School of the Arts. Very nice. And, uh, mm-hmm. That'll be yeah, just I guess it's Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm not sure what the three days are, mm-hmm. but. They're doing two shows on Saturday. I, I know that. Nice. Um, and unfortunately, I've been 
immersed in celebrating my birthday and um, getting up to speed on mid, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Night's Dream, so yeah, you're, you're in the middle of so rehearsal. I couldn't so. tell you much. I was trying to see if I could pull up the Central Works show, cause I know, but I think maybe that's not open yet. It's yeah, there are a couple of shows that are going on. Um, the custom-made theater company is doing Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Ooh, that that's supposed that to be very good. Yeah, that, opens, uh, that did open September 27th. It closes October the 17th. Nick Mandrakia, we've had him on. He's in the show. Uh, the Contra Costa Civic Theater is doing Bright Star. That opened on the 4th. It closes on the 27th. Paul Plain, he's been on the show. He is in the show. Mm. Um, San Francisco Playhouse is doing Dance Nation. Uh, it opens September the 24th, and it closes November the 9th. Crystal Piamonti Jung, she's been on the show, and she is in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Plethos is doing Next to Normal. I've talked about that. Yay. That'll be November the 8th through the 24th. Michael Dorado is uh, in the show, and I want to see if there's anything else. Also, so uh, and I've got a couple of weeks to sort of promote it. It's just a stage reading. It's happening at the Brooklyn Preserve. Yeah. I wrote a piece called Don't Open the Red Book, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it deals with, if anyone's familiar with Iris Chang and the Rape of Nanking. Yeah. Uh, it deals a little bit with that, and there's a bit of a Twilight Zone twisty, oh, you know, uh -huh. version of it. And it's a quick, you know, 15-page, probably a 10-minute piece, and that'll be cool to check that out. That's and cool. And Long Day's Journey, Ubuntu mm -hmm. Theater is doing right now. Oh, awesome. Cool. And, and Kathleen, who I was trying to get for the show, Kathleen Ridley, oh yeah. uh -huh. is in it. Oh, right on. <coughs> you okay, Paul? Yeah. And uh, one last thing. Um... I'm doing a reading. Um, actually, it's a play by Lynn Aylward. Snow da Snow Gado. Snow Gado Chain Reaction. It's a weird name, but it's a reading, and I believe yeah. it's happening at a. Uh, I've got to find more information on it, but it'll be happening in two weeks, so I have more time to to deal with it. To but get she's the details she's focusing on um, environmental issues, and it's uh -huh. a nice script. And I got the call a couple of days ago. Hey, can you do the reading for it? And yeah. I was like, Yeah, sure. So there it is. <laughs> Paul, any shows you want to get a shout out for? Well, uh, yeah. Cal uh, Shakes, Scottish play. <laughs> um, well, when you were talking about your your show, mm -hmm. uh, you asked me to be one of the readers. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I think they have readers. I wanted you to just be. Uh, we need. They're looking for audience members. Okay. If it's at the Brooklyn Preserve, that yes. thing you're talking about. No, you you better invite people. If you want to oh make yeah. sure okay. that you have readers. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. But, I, but I did ask, and they were like, do I need to bring in actors? And they're like, no, no, no we've got actors. So, But okay. if we need actors, I'm sure you'll be ready. I, ready I, to I, would, I would suggest <laughs> bringing in your ringers so mm -hmm. that you can say, oh, this person would be really good for this role. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, Paul, you will be okay, there as well. I got you now. I misunderstood you before. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I mean, the, the woman said that she had readers, but it's okay. good to have a backup. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no problem. I'm right happy on. to be backup. Yeah. Oh. Oh, we we still gotta hear you. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Did you have a good time today? I had a wonderful time today, and the only thing that my shout out would be to California Shakespeare Theater uh, at uh, in Arinda doing uh, the Scottish play this very evening, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm gonna get out my Arctic gear when I leave here. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, let's see, Cal uh, Berkeley Rep. Uh, I did see their last show, but mm, mm -hmm. I'm a little overwhelmed because w my wife and I subscribed to Oregon Shakes, too, and there's 11 shows. And we, we came back from Ireland and uh, wow. immediately were uh, in going back up to Ashland to see uh, three plays. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the 
there's only you know there's always one play that we consider weak at Ashland, uh -huh. but that weak play beats in a lot of other stuff. So it's right. just a fantastic season. So did you get to see Mother Road? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, Mother like Road. That. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the one. That's a they're going to be producing, if not OSF, then mm -hmm. Berkeley Rep's going to be producing the sequel to Viet Gone. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Which is, is going to happen uh, next year in the 2020 season. Mm -hmm. so uh -huh. That's all. I, I, I'm kind of – I wasn't prepared to do a shout-out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, no, did you did fine. Well. <laughs> um, let me give a shout-out to the Phoenix Theater. So they are looking to raise funds. I would hate to see the Phoenix Theater go. Yeah. Um, the quick blurb, they've been in existence for 34 years. I remember working at the Phoenix when they were still on Geary Street. For numerous companies like Bay Stage, the Gorilla Shakespeare Company, and Off-Broadway West, Linda Ayers Frederick, she was on our episode, episode 31, has always been a wonderful owner who has always given a home to theater companies to produce wonderful shows. They need your help. Uh, gentrification affects businesses too, not just renters, and the Phoenix needs your financial support to stay afloat. Click on the link that we'll have and support Phoenix Theater and Sport Community Theater. Yay. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app, really on any iPhone, iPad, any app that you listen to your podcast, <laughs> you can find the Yay. You're listening to us, but tell your friends. And we're on Spotify. If you're an old stogie and you listen to your podcast on a desktop or a laptop, you can go on iTunes and find us. For SoundCloud users, you can download the SoundCloud, SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Are you on Snapchat, Instagram, anything like that, Paul? No. No. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, I'm not. Sorry. Okay. But mm. people can find you on Facebook. Yes. So if someone's looking for